I'm Dr. Molly Ness, host of the End Book Deserts podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Good everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Dr. Tim Elmore, an expert on millennials and Generation Z, as the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. As a dynamic speaker, Dr. Elmore has shared leadership lessons with Delta Global Services, Chick-fil-A, and Home Depot, and has worked with numerous college and professional sports teams, including the University of Alabama Athletics Department and Major League Baseball San Francisco Giants and Kansas City Royals. He has authored more than 30 books, including Habitudes, Images That Form Leadership Habits, and his newest book is Generation Z Unfiltered, facing nine hidden challenges of the most anxious population. It's one of my personal favorites as it dives into how educators can empower kids to take ownership of their own learning. You certainly want to check that out wherever books are sold. Dr. Elmore has appeared on numerous national TV programs, including CNN and Fox and Friends. He previously worked alongside leadership guru John C. Maxwell, who says, quote, no one teaches leadership better than Tim Elmore, unquote. This is one of my favorite episodes, folks. So turn up the volume and enjoy this conversation with Tim Elmore. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. My special guest today is Dr. Tim Elmore, the founder and president of Growing Leaders in Atlanta, Georgia, a nonprofit created to develop emerging leaders. He's also a best-selling author, writing more than 25 books on effective leadership. A big welcome to Dr. Tim Elmore. How are you, sir? I'm well, Greg. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Well, I am thrilled to have you, sir. I am a, a huge fan uh, as someone that dabbles in, in leadership theory, um, you know, in my role as a professor in higher education and also as a director of ed leadership uh, at the college level. So to be able to pick your brain a little bit is something that I'm really excited about. Um, so let's just begin with your background a little bit. I, I think the thing that really jumps off the page and wows me the most is your 25 years with John C. Maxwell. And we all know that uh, Mr. Maxwell is a pioneer uh, in, in the leadership movement. How did that experience shape your own path as a leader? Oh, my gosh, it was huge. So I began as a teacher uh, with both university students and high school students uh, about 40 years ago and fell in love with students, just love the next generation, even though at the time I was the next generation. I was just two steps ahead of them. But um, in 1983, I went on staff with John Maxwell and of course, within a short amount of time, began to see the significant impact that learning to lead and to think like a leader had on my life. So over the years, Greg, my love of students and my love of leadership just got married. 
you know, I could, I, and Growing Leaders, the nonprofit that I lead now, is really just that. It's in many ways saying what John Maxwell has done for corporate America, I really want to do for the next generation before they take that first career job or get married or have children or whatever, all the responsibilities that come with adulthood. I just kept saying to John Maxwell, would it be great if we got these principles to him before they made the first mistake? You know, so um, that's really what it's all about. And I love what I get to do. Well, I just finished your most recent book, Generation Z Unfiltered, facing nine hidden challenges of the most anxious population. I'm fascinated by, by that topic, uh, whether it's we're talking about millennials or Gen Z and talking about how those demographics of kids, um, you know, how we interact with those folks in our classrooms. And I certainly want to get to that. But I stumbled upon a great TED Talk that you did, I think, last year. You were actually at an Indiana high school that put on a TED Talk. And yeah. I thought that in of itself was amazing that a high school would, would put on their own TED Talk. But yeah. it, was it was really about, um, uh, you know, it was uh, the battle between screen time and FaceTime and that yeah. human connection. And it's yeah. fantastic. And folks, you want to check that out. You can just Google Tim uh, Elmore uh, and you'll, it'll take you right to that TED Talk. But the thing that struck me is you were talking about as technology increases, we're also seeing this huge decrease in empathy. And there was a Michigan study done over a 10 year yeah. period that empathy actually decreased by 40%. So what is it we're missing whenever we think about this new generation of kids? Well, specifically in regard to that, when you overlay the studies on the drop in empathy and the rise in technology, I think it's fairly easy for a caring adult, teacher, parent, coach, administrator to see we just don't learn emotional intelligence and people skills well yet, at least, on a screen, you know? And plus, Greg, when you think about the fact that Generation Z grew up with a portable device in their hand, so they're inundated with so much information, and let's just say maybe photographs of starving children in Zimbabwe or whatever, that we're numb, you know, we're just numb. So um, Herbert Simon said it best, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. So I think that maybe what used to draw our hearts to the, the person in need, you know, maybe that, that homeless person that we ought to feel empathy, empathy for, perhaps we've just seen too much of it and we just go, yeah, I'm on to the next thing. I've got options here. So I don't mean to oversimplify, but I think we're having to rethink how we're leading and teaching Generation Z and certainly parenting Generation Z in light of the fact that they're exposed to adult information, you know, in middle school or maybe below. In fact, one last caveat here. I got to thinking, um, when I was 13 years old, my biggest worry was, where's my baseball mitt and how do I find a girlfriend, you know? Today, they're very aware of COVID-19, the pandemic around the world, um, and, and, you know, the bombing that happened in, in Belgium or you, you name it. So um, I think they're just overexposed to information earlier than they're ready, underexposed to firsthand experiences later than they're ready. And it's created not only an artificial maturity, but perhaps a drop in, in EQ. And that's, that's one of the things we're trying to build is how do we build these soft skills, these people skills in a, in a generation that really grew up on a screen? And, you know, we hear a lot about uh, screen addiction, and, and that is a conversation we should be having throughout all of K-12 education and beyond. But you, you referenced the pandemic. You know, yeah. we've been shuttered inside for quite some time. 
with the stay at, stay at home order or suggestion. Yeah. And I was looking at some stats this morning. The TikTok app is the, is the new flavor of the month. Yeah. That's the big thing on social media. But TikTok has now reached 2 billion downloads with a B, 2 billion. And they've seen a 48% increase throughout the pandemic. So you talk about soft skills. And, and I've, got on, I've been on TikTok just to see what it's all about. Yeah. And these kids just are starved to communicate and collaborate and problem solve. And it's so creative. But at the end of the day, you also have to stop and think if they're spending eight to 10 hours a day on TikTok, then when are they going to have time for that human connection? Yes, absolutely. So uh, it's, it's much more difficult now that they can't go out of their house, at least in a, for the season. But what we're saying to teachers and often parents who are also teachers now um, you know, balance the two. If they spend three hours on a screen playing video games or whatever, make sure they get three hours face-to-face -face with their siblings or someone else. I just feel like that rule of thumb that we had at our home still holds true and it really helped our kids be good with technology, but be also be good with face-to-face -face relationships. And we talk a little bit about, um, you know, this idea that <laughs> with, with social media, kids are defining success by how many likes or shares they're gonna get. And everyone now wants to become TikTok famous. So you think about how that has changed. You know, kids, uh, you know, I, I remember going to video arcades and doing those kind of things, but it was yeah. never really my goal to get the highest score yeah. so I could go back to school and tell everybody. So that's also been this huge shift in how we think about this generation of kids. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, there is a new report card. You're right. Our mine now. I'm way back. I'm back further than you are, Greg. But ours was completely. You know, popularity was was on campus things and you know football games and cheerleader or or athlete. And today, you're right. It's it's a screen time. And what we've noticed when we look at the data is that over the years, as kids become more savvy earlier so does a melancholy spirit, a sadness. Um, it's kind of strange because the TikTok video might be very funny, but it's a veneer of humor that's covering a, an anxiety that's beneath the surface. So Greg, I don't think you and I have even talked about this. We've not published anything, but I've been looking at, um, at data on, on music lyrics over 50 years. So since 1970, 69, 68, um, it's interesting the lyrics that are committed to um, emotions that are happy have dropped by 33%, so a third. And lyrics that are committed to sad or melancholy themes, they've grown by a third. So there's this reversal. Uh, the word love has dropped in half. The word hate, which for the first time appeared in the 90s, it wasn't even a word in songs back in the 70s when I was a teenager now has has gone way up so it's interesting i don't think that means all personalities of children are, are sad spirits i think there's there's kids that have you know go-getter personalities and happy-go-lucky personalities but the the soundtrack of their lives now is much more uh, sad and and the rhythms and the tones even minor keys have have gone up in in songs isn't that interesting so yeah. take billy eilish so Billie Eilish was a major Grammy Award winner at, at this year's Grammy Awards. She's a Gen Z kid. She's 19 years old. Uh, her, she sings about morbid, dark lyrics. She's very talented, but dark lyrics. She had 194 million downloads the first week. 
of her of her hit song that won a Grammy. So uh, the kids are drawn to it, and I'm thinking something's happening in culture. And I'm not saying it's all screens, but something's happening if we're not intentional about parenting and teaching that we're going to have to make up for this so that kids are well adjusted when it's time to to start their career. Yeah, and I think that's well said. And you know, as we kind of um, think about this generation of kids in our classrooms. I talk to educators on a regular basis, and I've been blessed to talk to, to some amazing thought leaders on this podcast. And, and I, it keeps keep circling back to the same thing over and over and over. When those kids are in seats looking at the teacher, it's really about an attention battle. Yeah. We have to find a way to get through to them. And a stat that I don't know if it's in the book or in the TED Talk, but right now it's eight seconds. So yeah. that's not a lot of time for a teacher to create magic. Right. That's very true. In fact, what I always say when I share that, so it's gone from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to eight seconds for the average teenager today. So you're right. Tough, tough job because we're up against YouTube and Netflix. But Greg, what I always add is it's not that they can't pay attention longer. I mean, they'll binge watch, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. So they're, they're able, but we've got to be very engaging. And what I always say to educators is, do the things that YouTube can't. Do the things that Netflix can't. Netflix can't be personal. It's a show. It's really good. The camera works marvelous. But we've got relationship that we can build. We've got connection that we can build. We know their lives. Netflix doesn't know their lives. So what we're going to have to do is not try to be Netflix. We're not that good. We're not Hollywood. But if we can play the card that's in our hand, uh, now I think we've got something that can keep them engaged. My guest today is Dr. Tim Elmore. You want to follow him on Twitter at Tim Elmore. Also check out the Growing Leaders website at growingleaders.com. You'll find them at Growing Leaders on Twitter. Also, if you have an interest in this book, folks, it's a good one. You need to check it out. It's really your handbook for understanding Generation Z. That website is generationzunfiltered.com. There's also a podcast that you have going, Tim. So really talk about your passion for just helping people understand different generations of kids. I wish I had a dollar for every time people told me kids aren't any different today. Yeah, Society yeah. has changed, but yeah. kids are the same. And I can't disagree more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So way back to Socrates, as far as I can tell, we've been saying kids are disrespectful. They're lazy. They're not going to make it, you know. And, and of course, you know, we, we've made it through. But, but here's what I would say. We need to be careful that we lead them intentionally that's appropriate for the day they're living in. So there's certain timeless skills and virtues, Greg, you and I would agree, they're going to need any time. Honesty is always a good virtue. I don't care if you graduate in 2020 or 2050, honesty is still going to be a good thing. But, but there are some timely skill sets that they're going to need based on the time they're in. So um, I believe teaching just needs to be different today. It can't be downloading a lesson plan like we did in 1990. It just can't. So when I look at the teachers that are really um, connecting with kids today, uh, they realize that Generation Z's life is on a portable device. That's their natural habitat. Um, and when they're on that device, they feel ownership. They, in fact, they feel empowered. Greg, you and I both, I'm sure, have said kids today are asking Google questions they used to ask their parents. You know, so dad's not having that conversation. They're having it with Siri or Alexa or Google. So um, what I believe we're going to have to do is do th lead them in such a way where they have ownership. Meaning we're not just prescribing every step along the way on the assignment or the activity or even the practice for the sports team when we get to play sports again. 
we've got to say, all right, Josh or Jessica, you're going to own this. And we begin to lead descriptively, not prescriptively, as we said in the book. That means we don't prescribe every step. We say, what do you think you're going to need to do to get to this goal? And they'll say, well, I don't know. Well, you need to think about it. Well, this is a new skill set because we've done the thinking for them. We're rushing the backpack that they forgot down to the school when they, you know, when they leave it at home. We're rushing to teach to the test, oftentimes in K-12 education. We're rushing to prescribe the next show they should watch on Netflix. You, have you ever noticed that? Almost all the leadership we offer to kids today, we're telling them the next step. Watch this. If you like this, you would buy this. If you like this, you'll love this. And I'm thinking, dadgummit, we need to let these kids figure it out for themselves. And they can't if we'll let them. So I know our brand team right now, but teachers, parents, coaches listening, we've got to let them practice metacognition, meaning they are doing the thinking about their thinking. They're owning how they're learning it as much as we can. And so, um, so let me, Greg, let me just give you one case study. I know a teacher in Alabama, college level, she was noticing in her biology class that the kids were just not engaging. And inevitably in week one, they would raise their hand with lots of questions about things that were in the textbook. I bet that's happened to you, Craig, several times. So what she did was she said, one year, five years ago, I threw away the syllabus. I threw it away. Uh, I'm sorry, syllabus is what I meant, not the textbook. Um, they, they asked him questions about when is this gonna happen? How many tests do we have? It was all on the syllabus. So she threw the syllabus away and she said, all right, all right, students, this first week of school, you're gonna create the syllabus. We're gonna do it together. Well, at first they thought, okay, that's kind of cool. But then when she started posing questions, they realized, wow, we gotta answer some tough questions. Like one question was, what do you wanna learn in here? And she said, interestingly enough, these students ended up saying, when it was all said and done, the very subjects of biology she wanted to teach. But they felt like they had ownership of it because they chose them. Then she said, how many tests do you think we ought to have? How many exams? Well, one bozo in the back of the room said, one, just one. And then everybody else climbs all over them because they go, no, we don't want it to all rise and fall with one test grade. And they backed off and they said the exact number of tests that this professor wanted to give. So they ended up actually coming up well, after careful thought of, with the very items she wanted to do that she would have prescribed typically but they got to come up with them. Now you take a risk there because they may not come up with that, but you can guide them to their discoveries and they still own it. So I'll stop there. Oh, by the way, let me add one more thing. I said I was gonna stop. Here's another thing she does, Greg, that you would love as a, an educator yourself. She doesn't just download the biology lessons, uh, lesson plans. She'll say, she, she took her class and she put them into pods of four or five. And she'll say pod A, you teach this section. Pod B, you teach that section. Pod C, D, E, F. And so they're teaching each other. And of course, there's accountability in that because they'll go, that's not right, or that's not in the textbook. So she said, they're smart enough to police each other. She's still the guide, but not the God of the classroom. And that's the, we have to move from commander to consultant in, in, in our teaching, especially at this level. And that's hard for us to do who like, to talk. Trust me, I like to talk. <laughs> so. And you know, I find it fascinating that whenever you talk about the school setting, we, we tell young children what to do all day, every day. And then when they get to high school overnight, we expect them to be yeah. independent thinkers. 
Yeah. And I think of something simple like, uh, you know, I have a nephew that I think is in third grade now. And, and even when he was a little bit younger, you know, I would spend time with him. I would give him a $5 bill and I would say, all right, Tate, I want you to go into the store and get a carton of milk and some bread. And I want you to do this by yourself. Go wow. in, go in and pick them up, go to the counter, pay for it and try to bring me back the right change. If we don't give kids those opportunities to yeah. learn those things and to fail, even if he brings me back the wrong change, yes. that's okay. That's how we learn. Absolutely. In fact, I couldn't agree more. What we're going to need to do is ask ourselves the rhetorical question, wouldn't I want them failing now in the third grade or the 10th grade even, rather than at 35 for the first time and their boss doesn't love them as much as we do? So we've just got to get over ourselves and this, um, this thing of, I'll tell you what, Greg, you, you know kids suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm hearing students talk about FOMU, fear of messing up. Uh, F-O-M-U, meaning they're so afraid of making a mistake, and I feel like we've imposed this on them unwittingly, that they don't want to fail, and now failure is happening later in life, which is not a good picture. So the sooner the better on the failure thing. And, you know, I also talk with teachers that are just racking their brain, trying to figure out, you know, what they can do differently. And that's the first step. Just realize that Gen Z students want and deserve a different school experience, and it's our job to give it to them. And I think about school space. You talk about Gen Z classrooms. What yeah. does that look like? Whether it's flexible seating, uh, lighting, wall color, collaborative spaces. You were talking about soft skills, but yeah. they cannot sit in straight rows all day and do worksheets and be expected to be loving, thriving children yeah. that want to interact with, with the teacher. No doubt about it. Circles are better than rows for sure. So let's go back to that case study I just mentioned. This professor uh, that I mentioned earlier uses pods, but a pod is essentially a group of desks or tables together, or maybe one table, but there's a handful of students, a small community that's collaborating together. Now, I realize the downside of that. There might be one really good worker and four bad workers or three bad workers, and the one that's doing all the work has gone, this isn't fair. I think you're going to have to make sure that there's a way to really make sure everybody's doing some work. But this is how work is going to go. Very often, they're going to be in clusters or communities working, and they all need each other to come through on their responsibilities so we can emulate that. I go back into time when I think about Horace Mann, the father of the modern school system that way back in 1859 led us in school reforms. So that's 150 years ago. But his whole point was to have career-ready, citizen-ready kids at the end of the journey. Now, other schools might even have bigger goals that involve faith or whatever, but minimally we can agree we want career-ready kids and we want adult-ready kids who are ready to be great people when they're done with school. Well, the only way we're going to do that is if we begin to um, ease up on our prescriptive sub supervisory leadership and let them become more autonomous and, respons and responsible. That's how people mature, autonomy and responsibility increasing levels are given to them until they're able to do it when it's time to drive the car, go to the prom, and graduate school and go into the career. So yeah, our learning environments need to feel more like a job and less like I'm sitting in rows listening to the download, the talking head up front. And um, so, so let me give a couple of examples. Why not teach, if you're listening teachers, why not let your students use Google Docs when they're taking notes? 
Um, now, what they're used to doing is taking notes individually, all, all at once, and they're all hoping to God they're taking the right notes. You know, they're, miss, they're all missing something. Google Docs, as you know, is a way to share an online uh, note-taking uh, exercise where they're all adding their own notes. The schools that are doing this, here's what they're finding. They're finding people are taking notes for sure, but then that shy student that usually never speaks up or is too afraid to say, I don't know if I'm getting this. They're typing in, I don't know if I'm getting this. And maybe another student across the way goes, oh, Katie, I'll tell you what it is. She's talking about da 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 And they're explaining it in a way that actually their peer understands because Miss Johnson up front is not saying it in a way that she understands. Test, test scores have gone up, at least anecdotally in the schools that I've talked to. This is not you know, quantitative, this is qualitative research but when they've been able to be collaborative in their note-taking. So I'll stop there, but I'm describing a scenario that's different than what we've, we've done in the past. And I love that you talk about the future of work because obviously that's a hot topic. And again, yeah. I wish I had a dollar for every time I hear we're creating jobs for kids, kids that don't exist yet. I yeah. mean, we know that. It's been, that's been the path we're on ever since the advent of technology. But I've, I've, you know, back in when I was growing up and you were growing up, we were talking about white collar jobs and blue collar jobs. Now yeah. we're talking about black collar jobs, the freelancer, yeah. the Uberization yeah. of America. You think about Steve Jobs wearing that black mock turtleneck. Yeah. So you think about how work is going to change and then how that translates into how we should be teaching those soft skills to kids. So speak to that just a little bit on preparing kids for that uncertain future. Yeah. Well, I'll add a term to your terms. We've heard, yeah, you and I heard blue collar, white collar jobs, now black collar. I'm hearing no collar. I'm in a t-shirt. I'm at home creating an app that's going to make me a million dollars when I'm 30 years old, you know, that sort of thing. And for many, that will happen. So here's my, my um, response, Greg, to that. First of all, I would say social and emotional learning has never been more important than it is today. It's been important in all days. But social-emotional learning has never been more important. This is a term that's taking the education world by storm, certainly K-12 education. This is teaching, basically teaching emotional intelligence and social intelligence. So those would be issues like self-awareness. I'm aware of how I'm coming across to others. Uh, Self-management. I can manage my emotions. uh, And I can do what I need to do, even when I don't feel like it. Uh, A third one would be, uh, uh, social awareness. I'm aware of how the relationships all around me are connected or disconnected. And then relationship management. I can manage the primary relationships in my life. Not all. I, I meet 100 people in a day, but maybe the, the, the primary ones. And then lastly, um, wise decision-making, responsible decision-making. Well, I don't know anybody listening. Maybe you are, but I don't know anybody listening. I can imagine anybody listening that would say, that's not paramount. Reading, writing, arithmetic, yeah, that's important, but this is just huge. So parents and teachers listening, I would say find a way to insert social and emotional learning into your routines, into the screenagers' lives, especially now that COVID-19 has made us isolated all together. Um, they're going to graduate into a gig economy. So Greg, you mentioned the, the future of work and the whole idea of, of Uberization. Um, it's commonly called the gig economy. And if you're listening and you don't know that term, it means they will get a job, hopefully, but they'll have a gig on the side or they'll do a gig here for a year and a half and then another gig here for two years and then another gig on the side. 
So they might have five jobs in their 20s rather than one. I think we need to understand, I'm not saying this is better, but it's definitely real. It's coming. So the Uberization of work is maybe they're a contract worker, a 1099 worker. Um, I just did a consultation with Chick-fil-A and they're looking at how can we kind of set this up where they're doing shifts like they're an Uber driver, you know, and we make sure there's enough people to cover the different shifts, but they're kind of on their own uh, tagging an app and saying, hey, can you take my shift here? I'll take yours there. Uh, there's definitely ways we can do this, but we're going to have to think differently about how we lead them and uh, get them ready for this. Yeah. Well, it's been an amazing conversation. Again, folks, the name of the book is Generation Z Unfiltered, Facing Nine Hidden Challenges of the Most Anxious Population. You can find that wherever books are sold. So, Tim, as we wrap it up, I, I do want to give you a closing thought, but tell our folks a little bit about growing leaders and how maybe you could bring Habitudes or some other uh, opportunities to school districts that might be thinking about growing their own network of leaders. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Well, yeah, our site, as you mentioned, is growingleaders.com. Our most popular tool that's being used in thousands of schools and other places is called Habitudes. It's a way of teaching life skills and social emotional learning uh, with an image. So every principle that you want to communicate or discuss is taught with an image. And because pictures are worth a thousand words, every image really gains student engagement. So Habitudes, you can find them on that site. There are nine courses, but there's a course just for social emotional learning. We'd love to have you check that out if that seems helpful to you and relevant to you. Uh, they can be done at home or in a classroom or on a sports team or in a work team. So um, thanks for mentioning that, Greg. We would love to partner with anybody that feels like that might be helpful to you. Well, the greatest compliment I can pay anyone is, sir, you are truly a servant leader. So thank you for all that you do. You bet. You too, Greg. I appreciate it. Well, it's been a great conversation, folks. You want to share this one out with the folks in your PLN and your school leaders there in your district. And that's a wrap. So as always, folks, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.